Michelle Weidenbetter, your chief hope builder here at Moms Letting Go Without Giving Up. If you haven't found our private Facebook group, I invite you to go to Facebook and type in groups and then Moms Letting Go with no spaces and come on in. We'll hold your hand. We'll give you support. We'll pray with you and be what you need to love your child well through this addiction crisis in your life. Um, If you listen to the podcast and you feel inclined to leave a review, I would be ecstatic because that's how others find us. And if you are somebody who is on the hunt for some instant understanding of your child's addiction um, and want to learn everything that you can, you can go to momsletting.go.teachable.com and I have three courses currently there, Understanding Addiction, How to Control Your Obsessive Thoughts because we all think our children are going to die of an, in an overdose um, and it's paralyzing, I understand. I also, the latest one is an 11-step um, video series of what moms can do, right? And each video is just two to two to three minutes long. It's very short. Um, you can get through that pretty quickly. So I'm also looking for a power team. If you're a mom of an addicted loved one who is maybe even in recovery and you have been in recovery long enough that now you want to do something to give back and help other moms, I have just recently become an unhackable coach and I'm looking for other moms who want to become unhackable moms of addicts. I will call us the unhackable hope builders. So um, reach out to me if that's something that is of interest to you. And um, God bless on your journey. I look forward to serving you here. Awesome. We are live and we are recording. Hey, this is Michelle and I have guest Danielle Burnock with us today. She, um, (laughs) I just love your hair. Um, She's an author, coach and speaker who helps individuals and organizations emerge with a clear vision, take ownership of their choices and chart a path to their purpose so they can love self thriving in their God-given greatness. And um, she has a boon. For those of you who are going to be in our our unhackable um, book club next month, her boon is, I must make the invisible scene or the silently wounded will never heal or embrace their God-given greatness. So her boon is to... Um, ignite one million souls so they can make the invisible scene. Um, and so trauma is personal and love is the secret sauce to a successful life. Uh, Danielle um, says change is inevitable, growth is optional. Love is how we embrace the change in our lives so we can do more than merely survive. She has has a four-step self-process that will empower you to end the siege of pain and powerlessness in your life so you can thrive. Everything in our life flows out of our perception of being loved or not loved. Love yourself. 
ETC. So welcome, Danielle. Thank you. Uh, Thank you for having me. Yeah, it's so nice to have you here. I um, was telling Danielle that we um, we're supposed to have like 22 moms in this group. There was so much interest in this. Um, and I, I just think it's because as moms of addicted loved ones, we have all lived through so much trauma. And so I thought, oh, this would be a great speaking topic. Um, but hardly anybody's here right now. So hopefully you're watching this live stream or you are in um, watching it later in the recording. So um, welcome. And tell, tell a little bit about your story and why trauma is, is important to you. Uh, trauma is important to me because I suffered a lot of childhood trauma. And as when I grew up and um, I started working through some of those things that I was aware of, and uh, I had trauma at home, trauma at school, trauma at church, and I had trauma I knew about, and I had trauma that I didn't know even existed. And so trauma is kind of like a big deal to me. And that, that why of mine that you read the silently uh, wounded, that I was silently wounded by something I didn't know. I mean, I knew the incident had occurred, but I had no idea what it had done to my soul until after going through the process. It was actually while I was writing my first book, because I, I wanted to write a book to share my process because I'd healed so much from in my life. And so I needed to share this and to help people. And so I went into counseling to do that because I figured that would be a smart choice because I'm going to be revisiting some painful places. And uh, it's it still amazes me that when I sat down to write the book, I only knew the first eight chapters. And it was while I was writing the book that I learned the second eight chapters. Wow. It was while I was in counseling and writing the book, and chapter nine is, is uh, the title is called The Bullseye, and that's the primary trauma that affected every area of my life, and uh, it was, I didn't know that happened until I was writing that book. I didn't know what took place in my soul at that time, and I was a child back at that time, and it happened at church, and so I'm a faith-based person. Uh, God is the most important thing to me, but I tread lightly on this subject a lot because I've been hurt there. And I know there are a lot of people who have been hurt there and things get mangled and the ways things get communicated. And so I, I'm really big on grace. I am really big on grace and love. And so trauma, U.S. White, that's a big deal because it, it permeated every area of my life and I didn't even know it. And so that's why I want to help people to see what they can't see. I mean, you start with what you see. You can't heal anything right. if you don't know it's there. Yeah. You know, but so I started with things that I knew, you know, and after I, you know, came back to the things of God after a while, the Lord helped me with that. And uh, he was so gracious, ushering me little by little, so gently to that bullseye. It was just so gentle because he's like that because we need that because trauma if you don't move toward healing from trauma gently and graciously enough you will re-traumatize yourself and you won't heal <laughs> you'll make it worse yeah. and i so think it, has, it yeah. has you have to go through it layer by layer which can be very frustrating yes. i 
was doing research because one of the things I was was very frustrated with myself because, you know, I mean, I read this book and I went through this and I did this and I did this. Why am I not fine now? Yeah, why are you not here? You know, why, why am I not fine? And, and one of the things that I learned was I learned a term called microsurgery. And it's actually a thing. It's like God gave me that, that term and I had to go look it up to see if it was <laughs> Mike, You said microsurgery? Yes, microsurgery. Huh. And I read about this one situation where this person, their leg got just mangled and it had dirt and grass and all kinds of stuff. And it was broken, ripped open. It just had all kinds of things wrong with it. And for them to fix this leg, they had to go through this great big long process to bring about the healing of the leg. They, they had to go through a whole washing and cleaning process and packing it and leaving it and coming back and cleaning it over and over and over again. And that was just the cleaning part. And then they had to go to the next part of starting repair. And so there was a great big long process. And when trauma is really deep and when trauma permeates every area of your life, it's like that. It takes a long process and you have to give yourself grace and you need someone who's gonna you know, be safe for you to own your truth and be able to share and be where you are in your story. Because but I like, I love the analogy of microsurgery, right? Because you have, it's like an onion. You have to just peel back all those layers until you get to exactly where the wound is. And I think for our addicted loved ones, um, we can't fix their problems for them, but so many men have trauma and it's even harder. It, it seems like two things. It's even harder for the men to vocalize their trauma or because they've always been taught, well, you know, I'm just, I got a man up, like just get over it already. And then for the women, the women are like, well, I'm already, I'm already over that. I have to move on because I have to provide for my family or I have to stay strong too. So we, we both sexes come at it from that angle of, um, you know, just keep going and never really peeling back that onion to go through the microsurgery of managing that wound. Um, and so we see that as moms of addicted loved ones. I see that all the time is that, you know, they're, they're putting the drug on their wound to just try to cover it up, but it's, it's not working. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Yeah. And it's not just male and female that affects how people approach their trauma. I was just, I've, like I told you, I was working on my, my new course today. And one of the things that <clears throat> I had printed out was to address, to refer to as a thing called social location. I came across this report on it. And, you know, we have, um, you know, how we were raised, you know, what economic did we, were we, did we grow up in? Did we grow up in a big city, in a small city? Did, you know, are we black, white, you know, Asian or, or what, you know, we have all these different aspects, you know, were we white color, were we blue color? You know, we live on a farm. Did we, you know, have 12 siblings or do we have no siblings? And so many of these other things, they all affect how we view things. And that all takes into consideration how we process the things that come into our life. And so we dismiss it because of this reason. We dismiss it because of that reason. We dismiss it because of that reason. But it's like, if you dismiss it, it doesn't go away. Yeah. yeah. So it sounds though, like you're pretty intuitive about getting to the root of yours. I mean, here you are writing your book. So you write eight chapters 
and you didn't even realize that you had eight more, but you hadn't even uncovered those yet. So how instrumental was your counselor to helping you find those eight other chapters? My, my counselor was phenomenal. I had been in counseling earlier in my life and it was both good and bad. <laughs> I went to a Uh-oh, she froze. Uh, there was like one thing that I got out of it that was good and the rest of it, I just got more condemnation from him because basically he blamed me for my problem. But he asked me one question that did cut to my heart and help me going forward. He talked about, there was a story in the Bible where Jesus talked about the hundred sheep and one wanders away and how he goes and leaves the 99 to go look for the lost sheep. And the counselor asked me, can you see yourself as the one he goes after? And I just completely had a meltdown and said, no. <laughs> but that's the only thing I gleaned from that. Other than that, he blamed me for everything. I'm, I, you know, it was sin in my life. I was doing it wrong. I wasn't working hard enough. And that was part of my whole problem with Christianity was it was all based on works, even though that's not what the gospel is. Yeah. You know, I God's love and I had to behave a certain way and I had to, you know, talk a certain way. And it's like, that's, that's not right. Yeah. So my counselor that helped me with my book, when I went to look for a counselor, I specifically said, I don't want to get a Christian counselor. I want a counselor who knows about your mind. I wanted one that knew about the mind. I was actually aiming for one that was trauma trained, but the one I ended up with, and she's not trauma focused or whatever, but I went through three other counselors before I found her. I almost gave up going into counseling because but it was a God thing. You got the right one to help you through that. Yeah, but I went through three others, and I'm, I know I'm not alone with that. And people give up because I, I went to one once, and I had to fill out 13 pages of stuff before, you know, I'm doing this. I'm like, really? Yeah. And then I, I was waiting for my um, appointment, and she never came to the door to let me in. And I finally left. I mean, I knocked on the door, knocked on the door, and I finally left. It was like, 20 after and then she called me and said you know i'm here or whatever i'm like well i waited and she basically called me a liar and it's oh. like and yeah. it's like it's not this is not good for someone who's got trauma issues no, no that's <laughs> you know? but the one that helped me is the one she was referred to by my my daughter is in counseling because she's been through her own near-death trauma among other kinds um but uh she referred me to this lady. And so I'm like, okay, my husband's like, just call, just call. Yeah. So I, I, I called and I had a complete meltdown on the phone with her and it was oh. the best thing that happened. Yeah. Yeah. Cause <laughs> you had trauma from me. Yeah. She yeah. treated me with respect and with oh, honor good. and safety and oh. asking me things. And she identified something that now I have a name for when she was counseling me, I discovered that I have a four, I, suffered a form of trauma called childhood emotional neglect, which oh. I had not heard that term until a year ago. And, but when I read my book, I'm like, that's where my, my counselor pointed it out. She just didn't call it that. So what, what can you define that? Because I think a lot of moms have that. Childhood emotional neglect is when you are raised at, by parents that you, they did not meet your emotional needs enough. 
It doesn't mean that they completely disregarded you or something like that. It just means whatever you needed was not met. And that's different because different kids have different amounts. And there's a book that I read that I came to understand this by Dr. Janice Webb called Running on Empty. And she goes through 12 different types of parents of how children can be emotionally neglected these 12 different ways. And I fell into the category of three of them. Running, I'm gonna write this down because I sometimes moms will ask me later, running on empty and by what was, oh, there it is, overcome, web, PhD, okay. And what was the name, can you tell moms what the name is of your book and um, a little bit about how, you, how this will help them on their journey too? With well, I have, I have two paperback books. Okay, and I shared the one in my group because you had it on sale, right? Or free. Yeah, it was free. Yes, yeah, this Your one. Eva, this was I was doing I was doing a free giveaway of this one. Okay. Emerging with weight. Yes. This is my first book. That's the one that I knew the first eight chapters and not the second eight chapters. Okay. It's a, it's my it's a memoir, but it's written as a love story. So there's it's like got characters in it. Oh. Uh, there's a character of, called the pursuer, the character called the jab, and the child. Oh. And I'm the child. The pursuer is God, and the jab is a group. It's it stands for jealous, angry, bully, hmm. and it's made up of you know the devil, and made up with you know evil spirits, and but it's also made up of my own negative, self-condemning mind. Yeah. So even people who don't believe in God. They deal with that self-condemning mind thing. So. Oh yeah, and you're not limiting beliefs. Yeah, you can bully yourself with that, and so it's it's written with that throughout. So it's my personal journey of becoming free from the childhood trauma and finding my value. And that was one of the biggest key things that I have learned is trauma strips a person of their value, which is why my newest book, Because You Matter, focuses on your value. The subtitle is how to take ownership of your life so you can really live. And it's um, a self-help memoir kind of mix. It's written in small little chunks because broken hearts can't swallow small, large paragraphs. That's oh, <laughs> I love that. Mine, who's a writer, she said that one day. I'm like, I got to write that down. <laughs> broken hearts can't take large chunks of paragraphs? Broken hearts can't swallow oh, large paragraphs. Okay. And it's true. And it's broken into like little bitty things you could do, you know, one little section at a time. And it's taking ownership of your courage, taking ownership of your choices, taking ownership of your mess, taking ownership of your mind, of your pain, of, you know, your purpose and all the different aspects of your life. And it's using my life to do that, but also 10 other people. I interviewed 10 other people Uh, men and women, black and white, age 20-something to 60-something, to bridge the gap between gender and race and and faith and, you know, age, and and also different kinds of trauma, because just because I went through my trauma, other people have different trauma. I don't have, you know, I'm not a mom of an addicted loved one, so that's a trauma that I deal with. So I had 10 other people and 10 other kinds of trauma in there. 
to you know, show how you know, taking ownership of this will work, whatever kind of trauma that you have to deal with. So when you say take ownership of it, can you share a little bit about how a person would do that, how they would start to take ownership of that? Take ownership of what of their trauma. Of, of their trauma, like how would you, um, what's like one of the first steps they would take to take ownership of their trauma when you say that phrase, or is it just awareness? Is um, well, you have, to, you have to own it. Like there's a difference between owning and, and responsibility. That's like one of the first chapters in my new book, the difference between ownership and responsibility. Because responsibility, you know, can be oppressive and someone else can put it on you and I can tell someone, own your stuff, own your stuff. And then I'm just trying to make them responsible. But you, you have to own something yourself. You can't make someone own something. They, that comes from your inside your own self. And when you're responsible for something, you're responsible to something. And when you own something, it's something that you have. The one is you're being something, the other one is something you okay. have. So it's so kind of admitting. Trauma, you say, this is mine and I'm going to deal with it. You don't push it off on, you know, so-and-so did this or so-and-so did this. It's no, this is my pain. This is oh. my life. I love the quote. I, I use it all the time by Carol Burnett. Only I can change my life. No one can do it for me. You know what? I love that because I think what you're saying is that owning is just not blaming somebody else for something that you are struggling with. Right. And um, in, in serving, you know, my moms of addicted loved ones, one of the things that we try to learn right away is that we didn't cause this disease. We, we don't choose it for our child. We can't cure it. It's it's that we can't control anybody but ourselves, and right. we take ownership of our responses to the disease, to them, to the to the behavior. And so that's the only place that we can sit in. So I love that you know you're, there's kind of a parallel there, and we have to own our own trauma instead of blaming somebody else on it. Um, so. So go back, when you said the counselor said the emotional- um, Childhood emotional neglect? Yeah, childhood emotional neglect. How um, did she reveal that to me without using the term? Yeah, well- I remember the moment. I remember the moment. I was one of my um, primary um, side effects, if you will, of it. You know, I said something to her that I had felt my whole life and always felt very guilty and shamed, ashamed of it was I always felt like I never belonged in my family and that I was adopted and that they never wanted me. You really believe that? Were, were you an adopted child? No. Oh, jeez. But you no. believe that, huh? Yes. I believe that I, well, I had been told at one point in my life that I was um, an accident. I was not, I was not planned. I was an accident. And so the way that was conveyed was not in a healthy way. <laughs> okay. But it was even before that, when I shared that with my counselor, her response shocked me because I, I just felt there was something wrong with me that I felt this way. There, what's wrong with me that I feel this way? Fix me so I'll stop feeling this way. <laughs> oh my God. You know, and she said to me, she said, you felt that you didn't belong in your family. Why? 
I said, I, I don't know. Wow. And she said, something went terribly wrong. Something went terribly wrong. Yeah, and I would we, say. We worked on unpacking what that could possibly be, and we couldn't even nail it down exactly. It, it could have been this and could have been that. And, you know, from pre-verbal years and what my mom was going through at the time. And so when I found this book running on empty, it like shed new light on things. It's like, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I could see the different aspects of things. Well, I think that I, I can speak for my granddaughters, okay, especially the 15-year-old. I know that she feels that um, her emotional needs when she was a child um, were, were never met because her sister's five years younger. And so I would put the 10-year-old to bed and I would read her story and hug her and tell her I loved her and we would do silly things. And um, the older one at one point just broke down and said, nobody ever tucked me in bed like that, night after night after night. Nobody was ever there for me. And I said, I'm so sorry. And so, you know, I just swooped her up in my arms and you know, said, I'm here now and I'm sorry, you know. Um, but I, I see the pattern of that um, even now as a 15 year old, she emotionally needs so much from me. It's exhausting. And it's a hole that I can't fill. Um, but yet I, I want her to, to find help, um, to fill it on her own, like to own it, like you said, I guess. Yeah. So I'm looking at her when you're describing this and I'm thinking, I mean, she's with her mom right now and they're baking for tomorrow. And so I'm hoping that she's getting her emotional needs um, met. I can't, again, I can't control that for her. Right. I can't fix it for her. She has to find it, but I do want to like bring it to her awareness that mm -hmm. this is what I see. So maybe, maybe speak into that, like from your counselor, like how did she help you, um, own it or how did she help you I guess you just said it because you you didn't realize that it was something that wasn't was valid yeah it, was it wasn't valid. valid she she validated it I, I guess to answer your question how to help someone own it is you validate it there you go this is this right. is this is a thing this yeah. is a thing I, I see it too I see it too it's a thing and then you're like wow it's a thing <laughs> and then then you can do something about it because it becomes real you know, right. it's not something in your head that you think you made up. It becomes something that's real and something that's concrete. This is so good. I mean, you, we didn't come on this call to, to talk about this or to, but I just feel like you are just answered something that I have been trying to find and work on um, in my granddaughter's life. And so that is, um, yeah, this is great. I mean, I just need to continue to validate. I, I see that you know, you, you feel left out, or I see that you need more here. Um, and so let her, let her sit in her pain instead of running away from it. She has to sit in the pain, but I don't she has I, to feel I, the pain. She, you have to say, yes, it hurts. It's but, she, but she's <laughs> angry, but she's angry and she doesn't know why she's angry. So it, I think it scares her and 
I think that what I need to do is just validate um, that, you know, I think you're angry because you have some pain here, uh, but, but you don't want to feed what she feels, mm -hmm. but I do want her to like, I feel like she I has a right to be angry. She has parents yeah, that are not right. raising her. Right. I mean, yeah. right there. She even just telling her, you have a right to be angry for so many reasons. Yeah. So does, oh she, does, she, does she beat herself up for being angry? Um, yes, because she, I just that, say it's a compound of that. She well, needs because, to be able to be angry. <laughs> but, but see, here's the hard part is like, I'm not, I'm at the other end of that. And I'm like, you know what? I didn't, I don't deserve to be talked to that way. So I know, right. you, know you, you better go figure it yeah. out because it's not going to work with me. Not when you're talking to me like that. So, right. And then you she, can say that I understand you're angry, but taking your anger out on me is inappropriate. Right. You have a right to be angry, but you need to aim that anger at something yeah. productive, not yeah. destructive. Right. Yeah. Okay. I didn't realize this was going to be my personal co <laughs> coaching and counseling session, <laughs> but I'm sure other moms that are listening can relate to this too. So um, yeah. with, the topic of this today was um, trauma is personal. Can you speak into that for a little bit? Well, it, it all really stemmed from a quote of mine in my book <clears throat> that I find all over the internet. After I wrote that book and I published it and was terrified that someone would actually read it. <laughs> even though, you know, you write it and you want someone to read it, but it was so raw and so vulnerable. I felt like I stripped off all my clothes and ran around the world naked. <laughs> and so it was terrifying to think that someone would read it. And so this, this one quote in the book I have found on memes all over the internet. They're in other people's books. People contact me and uh, ask if they can put it in their book. I just got an email last week from someone in Australia who wanted to know how to get my book because she took some course and it quoted my book. And I asked her, what quote? Yeah. <laughs> she didn't write me back. But the, the quote is, trauma is personal. It does not disappear if it is not validated. When it is ignored or invalidated, the silent screams continue, internally heard only by the one held captive. When someone enters the pain and hears the screams, healing can begin. That's powerful, yeah. And I it's think all about that silent. That's again the silent screams, the silent pain, the silent wound. It's in and and some people they may they they hide it. And there's a well, lot of shame that goes with trauma. And so they hide it, whether they don't know it's there or they hide it in shame, both are turning it silent and it needs to come out in the light. It's the only way for it to heal. But I do think that sometimes, especially women undermine it. They're they're like they don't think of it as trauma they just think, well, that's just what, it's just kind of like you, you've never lived any other life. So mm -hmm. until, like you said, until they verbalize something in your, their lives and they have somebody on the other side that stops them and says, wait a second, what did you exactly. say? Yes. Like, oh, that sounds horrible. I'm so sorry. And so like even moms in my group, they'll say something and I'll stop first of all. And I'll say, first of all, you what you just went through is trauma like do you realize that and they're like oh i don't know yeah i, I didn't think about it yeah trauma 
And, um, you know, finding when my son was a teenager, you know, finding him on the floor, just so passed out from alcohol and thinking he was going to die. And, you know, I know a lot of moms have seen their children actually shoot up because they had to, they felt like they had to survive. They couldn't, they couldn't stop uh, for anybody or that they OD'd and they had to Narcan them and bring them back to life. And they're just, so yeah. And some of them are- It's all traumatic. Yeah. Yeah. So um, do you, um, I guess, what do you recommend? What's the process of going through the trauma for somebody um, other than a counselor? What else do you recommend that they um, do for themselves to own it? Well, they can read books. There's lots and lots of books out there. I read books. I read a book a long time ago that helped me validate that any of the stuff in my life, I could put that word trauma to it. Because trauma to me was 9-11, was, you know, wiping out of a country from a hurricane. You know, what I had- (laughs) COVID-19. COVID-19. Yeah, Yeah. that's trauma, right. Yeah, Yeah. You think of it as being this big, big, huge event like murder or, but no, it can be um, something so much, so much smaller than that. But what I learned about trauma and why it's so important, three words, trauma is personal, why they're so important is trauma is not an event. Mm. Trauma is not an event. Trauma is what takes place inside a person's soul. And what traumatizes one person doesn't always traumatize someone else. There are people, uh, I have a friend, he's one of the people in my book that I interviewed, he's a uh, counselor and he's been in the army and he's you know been on trauma recovery things. I mean, he goes to the places where they have hurricanes and stuff and he does trauma counseling. Mm-hmm. and. Uh, One of the things that I learned with trauma counselors when they show up at some disaster, that there are two kinds of people at this disaster. There are the ones that are freaking out and crying or screaming or, you know, they're, you know, they're emoting in some way. Right. And then there are the ones over here that are doing absolutely nothing. Yeah. And the ones that are in the biggest danger are the silent ones. Yeah. They're not processing at all. They're shut down. They're yeah. just shut down. And so, and there's people who go through thing, horrible disasters and they are not traumatized by it. They have a, a deep resilience in them. <clears throat> they've been trained. They've been raised that way. <clears throat> like my friend, John, he went to some school. I forgot about what it's called. It's in my book, Because You Matter. And, and he went to this school of some boarding school and they pushed them as far as they could go and then they pushed them a little further and what he learned through this even though it was terribly hard he became a very resilient person even though he suffered PTSD because of what happened to his brother but um he uh there are people who are resilient like that and then there are other people who are much more I'm gonna say sensitive I mean I was always told I was too sensitive you know, and sensitive is not a bad word. I used to be afraid of that word because that meant, you know, you're, there's something bad. Like fragile has like two ways of looking at it. Like you're going to fall apart easily 
or you have fine china or like a fine glass of like wine glass that's beautiful and it being fragile is a display of its exquisiteness and so when a person is sensitive that that's a gift there are people who wish they could be sensitive and then there are the hard ones that (laughs) we wish they could get some sensitivity but it's like everyone's in a different place on the spectrum too because everyone's different so that's why trauma is personal is so important because you know one mom might find her kid you know struggling and they just they're traumatized so badly and another one they like well we've been through this before and we'll go through it again and they have a resilience in them and neither one of those moms is wrong right neither one is wrong And that's where it has to be personal and you own where you are and you have to let yourself be sensitive. If you are, you need to let yourself be resilient. If and you embrace are. that, you embrace know? that. Yeah. Embrace that giftedness because, um, there are, there are, thank God, God made us all different. Right. And so you have to just say, okay, this is, I am really sensitive to, I'm very intuitive, um, to other people and sensitive. And I used to just think it was, not a big deal. Um, I would go to conferences like writers conferences and I would, I would be so uptight that I couldn't sleep for days. And it was because when you go to writers conferences, all these people, all their emotions and, um, anxiety from getting the deal, finding the publisher, like it was just too much for me to absorb. Like I, I just take that on, I'm that sensitive. Right. And so it wasn't until like five years ago that I realized, oh my gosh, yeah, that's what it is. I, I have to learn how to deflect that. But I, to me, it's not trauma. It's just a part of my personality. But I mm-hmm. love how you say, you define trauma as personal and you give people the um, freedom and the permission to give themselves grace for having trauma for something that somebody else might not it doesn't matter Um, yeah wow it doesn't matter if someone else thinks it's trauma if it traumatized you it traumatized you and that was one of the hardest things for me to own because i felt small i felt like there was something wrong with me and i was raised by stoic german parents that you know is like suck it up get over it and you know and all that kind of stuff it's like you know and don't cry if you cry i'll give you something to cry about you know it's like (laughs) i heard that one too (laughs) you know and some people were not negatively affected by that because they got their other needs met like someone else who's in my book she was raised with parents it sounds like somewhat similar to mine but they conveyed their their love to her even though they weren't physically demonstrative she still grew up knowing she was loved and very secure in that yeah. because they, they found a way to do that. Either it's her personality and them, but something they found a way. Yeah. It doesn't have to be any particular way. It's what, that's why it's so important that it's personal. So when you took this on and you be, began to own your trauma, um, did it, did it help because you wrote it out? I mean, is that a process that can help moms writing it or? Yes. Okay. And did you have a process for um, writing it? So did you kind of just write down the story? Did you write down your emotions? What part did you write? Um, 
Well, I've been somewhat writing for years. In my first book, I have some, I actually share a part of my journal, which is really messy. Because <clears throat> uh, I would write in journals, you know, I'd have not a diary, but I, I would just write my feelings down. And I went back and revisited some of those. And I wrote poems and songs and things like that. And so I think that a mom that's going through something, just if she can just write just to get it out of her. Yeah. You know, I don't even have to share it with anyone. You know, I write it and, you know, write a song, write a poem, you know, just write whatever. It doesn't matter what it looks like. And if you're concerned someone's going to read it after you're done writing it, rip it up and throw it away or burn it. I mean, you don't even have to keep it. But if you write it down, that is a process of getting it out of your heart. Because if you don't get the pain out of your body, the pain will attack your body. Like that book, I think we talked about the other day, The Body Keeps Score. Yeah. The body does keep score. And if you don't do something about it, I mean, years and years ago, before I wrote my book, um, I had a moment, I have a couple of moments in my life where I feel like God talked to me. I mean, very specifically that I like continue to remember. And this was one of those moments where I was, I remember where I was standing in my house and everything. And uh, my mom died of pancreatic cancer. And uh, we were reconciled before she died. And, and I got to walk through her with that. And it was wonderful to be able to do that with her. And, uh, but after she died, I just, I learned some things right before she died, how she had just smashed her emotions. And I didn't know that. Um, we, I took her on a trip um, the Christmas before she died. And it was, it was actually for her 65th birthday back then. And, uh, during that time, we laughed so hard that we cried and, you know, belly laughed and that, you know, she cried because of something else. And she told me on that trip that she hadn't done either one of those in years. Wow. Laughed or cried like that. And uh, the Lord told me that day that it's like he gave me like a graciously loving warning. It wasn't anything that made me feel scared. So it wasn't conveyed in that manner. But he, he told me, you know, that my, part of the reason that my mom got sick was because of that suppressing of her emotions. And he told me that if I don't change what I'm doing in my life, the same thing will happen to me. Wow. And from that day on, I'm like, okay, I got to deal with these emotions. That was the first thing I tackled of what he told me. It's like, that was the first day I'm like, well, I don't know what I'm doing, but we're going this way. Wow. And I, that's part of what has driven me and how I've gotten to where I've been one of the quotes from my first book, because it was so awkward. Yeah, I wasn't, you know, I'd never written a book before. I didn't know how to write a book. I didn't even know what front matter or back matter was. You know, I'd never read the stuff at the back. I'm just doing this because I have a story I have to share. And I said that, you know, I have gotten to where I am by refusing to stay where I was. Yeah. That's all. It's no big, great illuminated pathway, but now I can help others. But that can be enough if you are driven enough that I'm not staying here. Right. Know, but we're not staying here. Yeah. I'm going to change. Change is happening. You will find a way, like that, that saying where there's a will, there's a way. Right. Yeah. That's so true. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. It's so true. It's so good. And I always tell the moms, you know, we want our addicted loved ones to change, but we're not willing to change. And when, when our son, you know, was, uh, when we were going through such difficult time with him and his wife and our grandkids, 
I was angry because I was like, well, why should I have to do something? Why, this isn't my problem. This is his problem, right? But it becomes a family problem because you care. Yeah. And I had, you know, I had to think, well, what, what are you doing? Because, you know, the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and never, you know, changing. And I thought, no, I have to do something. I have to change. And so where do I start? And I want to be teachable. So God, show me, you know, where am I, where am I supposed to go with this? But um, it's hard. Change is hard. So, um, but I do, I, I totally believe that, um, but doing it together with people, it makes it better. I mean, when you can find help, that is profoundly better. You know, healing happens together much better. So. That's what I always say. Healing happens in our community. <laughs> our community of moms letting go without giving up, right? Yeah, so, um, and that's, I, and I believe that. And I think that's why it's so hard right now with COVID is that we're not getting together in communities where we can heal together. So if we, okay, so if you and I were going to lead a workshop, okay, and we wanted moms to come and um, get to owning their trauma, right? Um, would it be um, led by journaling, one-on-one, um, -on -one, talking to each other? Um, what, how, do you, how would you envision something like that? Because I would love to do that sometime. Oh, I think we should do that. I did a... Uh workshop earlier this year with a, a, a licensed counselor called uh, four steps to calming your fearful self Ooh. you know to do that and so we could we could come up with you know a process for them to go to go through so that they when they leave they they have tools to take with them but they feel they've accomplished something while they were there yeah to at least get started on healing because a lot of times um so when we have trauma, it can manifest in anger, in um, low self-esteem, in um, because sometimes my moms will be like, well, my son, my daughter just spewed these awful words to me. And, you know, they start believing that about themselves, that it was all their fault that their child has this problem, right? And I think right there is, is trauma of your child telling you the most important job in your life as a mother is now been undervalued. Like they're, they're, they're saying that you, you were terrible as a mother. I mean, who wants to hear that? Right. And so that's trauma, but um, how else do you see trauma manifesting in people's lives? Oh, there are numerous, numerous, numerous ways. It manifests in sleep problems, eating problems, <clears throat> relationship problems, um, in um, lack of being able to do your work, lack of being able to pay attention, disassociating, you know, like we talked about an unhackable book, you know, it's like all that way of being hacked. How many different ways can you be hacked? Right. You know, and you getting involved in things you shouldn't get involved in because you're just trying to just get away from the pain. You know, how many different ways can we try and run away from our pain? You know, people can have gambling problems. They can have shopping problems. They can, all of those can be a coping mechanism that isn't healthy for trauma. Right. Yes. So any, and so hang on, I want to share um, a few things that you told me earlier for people who are listening or um, the recording or in the podcast 
you have something on Monday. You have a sale on Cyber Monday. Yes. Um, and this is a seven-day challenge to love yourself. Yes. And I love that because that that is a way of healing from your trauma is to own it and to love yourself. Is that is that what yes. you're saying? Yeah. Okay. Yes, it's a seven-day audio course. And it goes through an assessment of self-value and soul wellness to identify what kind of trauma has been at the root of why you don't love yourself and, and how much you do or don't love yourself. And then takes you through seven days of challenges of things you can do to steer yourself in the direction of loving yourself instead of attacking yourself or hurting yourself or whatever it is that you're doing. So. Hey, can my teenage granddaughter take that? Do you, would it be appropriate for a teen? So, and can they take it? Um, so they get the seven day challenge. Do they have to take, to do all of it seven days in a row or? Well, how I, I have it set up, I've, I've elaborated on it since I first started it. So it has, it's, it's um, it comes out in an email in seven consecutive days. Okay. But also I have it hosted on my website and it's on a, it's password protected, which they get. So they could go and do all of them in one day okay. or they could, you know, do one a day or do them in whatever order they want to, because it's there, they get lifetime access to that. And something that comes with that is also an hour of coaching when they have completed it to talk it through with them that, how did this help you? What do you still need? And, and that also. Okay. Awesome. Okay. So in your website, daniellebernock.com. Mm -hmm. Okay. And I'll put those, I'll put that in the show notes too, for anybody who's listening. Danielle. 60% off on Monday. So it's actually, and it's, I really have it priced economically because I really want to help people. Yeah. I thought of giving it away free, but people won't do it if you give it to them because they won't own it because right. they'll say, oh, it's, it's not worth anything. That's yeah, why it's free. skin in the game. So, but you yeah, just skin in the game. Exactly. So, I mean, but 60% off on Monday. And so it's only $18 and 80 cents. Oh, wow. Okay. It's I'm normally $47, which is a steal because that's less than half of a, my coaching. Yeah. Okay. But I want to help people get on that path to wellness. Maybe that seven days is enough for people or maybe they need more, but then they know where they're at. Right. Yeah. It'll kind of give them a starting point anything, yeah. anyway. So, um, and again, Danielle's Boone, I just love this. I must make the invisible scene or the silently wounded will never heal or embrace their God-given greatness. Yeah. I love that. Yeah, that's my why. My boon is actually a million souls. I want to set free. I plan on setting free from their trauma setting free 1 million souls from the trauma by my 65th birthday. That's my boon. And mine is to empower 1 million moms of addicted loved ones to find recovery um, by 2025. So I will be a little over 65 at that point, but maybe I need to change that. Maybe I need to. Well, you have a deadline. You start with that. You can change yeah. things as you go. It's like you hit the ground running and then you learn something and you change it when i taught a, a at a writer's conference one of the things i told people about writing if you're going to write your book is as you know you start with what you know 
and you do you do what you know and then you learn more and then you do what you know and then you learn more right and then yeah. you, do what you, you know and it becomes yeah. this cycle you know when i wrote when i published my first book it was a thriller cash a predator it's a geocaching mystery <clears throat> and um it's horrific I, I can't even go back and read it. And somebody, I was working out at the gym and somebody was reading it. And I was like, oh my gosh, I was like so embarrassed. And they're like, oh, it's really good. And I'm like, oh, cool. <laughs> but you know, at the time when I wrote it, it's, it, it was as good as I knew. It was as good as it could be at that point, right? Well, now, that person was it, enjoying it. Yeah. If I wrote it today, it'd be different. So um, I'm going to, I'm going to ask Lucretia though, because she's still hanging out with us in the group. Lucretia, are you, I don't know if you're muted or not. Do you have, do you have a goal? What's your goal? Do you have one? A boon as we call it. Mine right now is just taking the next right step. Okay. Yeah. And, and helping, helping the people that I come in contact with, um, family members, friends, because I do have some friends that are going through different kinds of trauma also. Um, but when you have a son in prison, yeah. it's, you know, it can be whatever, <laughs> whenever, you know. Um, so we have made some big steps here, you know, over this last uh, five, six months and moving, getting rid of a lot of things, being unencumbered. So um, I am making a lot of steps here. Um, and I'm not looking at the, at, I'm not trying to look too far into the future. Yeah. Because, you know, today has enough trouble of its own. <laughs> there you go. This is so, um, you know, I'm just taking each day, you know, my, my, after we moved, my husband got a clot in his lung Hold on. We lost her picture. She's coming back. Oh, are you there? there? You okay, there I think my person is calling that I'm selling some bar oh. stools and my okay. couch too, so I'm gonna have to go. Okay. But um, my <laughs> husband got a clot in his lung. And so he's been recovering from that. Um, Anyway, we're just recovery. We're in recovery mode right now. And it was nice to meet you, Danielle, but I'm nice going to have to go. And okay. Michelle, I'll talk with you later. Okay. All right. God bless. All Take right. care. Bye-bye. Uh -huh. Bye-bye. So, but thanks so much for um, being with me tonight with us in the group. And oh, it was I, my pleasure. Oh, yeah. it was my pleasure even more than I even thought. Oh, good. I'm going to stop recording for now. Um, hang on. Oh. Thank you. Hang 